everybody and welcome to FWA's British Uprising Part 1. I'll be your host for this evening, Tony Giles, alongside none other than Nick London. That's me, and now we see referee Steve Linsky coming down to ringside. And if Steve Linsky's coming down, that can mean that only one person is about to follow. The lovely Jane Charles, the FWA ring announcer, about to kick things off for FWA British Uprising. In part one, you're going to see uh, Jerry Lynn versus the anarchist Doug Williams in the main event. However, today, we're going to kick off with a freeway dance. It's going to be Jack Xavier, Roger Ghosh, and James Ty fighting for an All England Championship title shot. Like a British lion rising from the ashes, your boys are back in your ears for the eighth instalment of the hottest wrestling podcast going today. One man's meat. The rich, buttery voice you can currently hear is that of Big Meaty Cool himself. And it's time to say your prayers. Your dreams have turned to nightmares. And now that you are scared, he don't care. There's no time to run inside. No time to run or hide, as everyone here will know, he's back to steal the show! It's the Alex Shane to my Ulf Herman, the Jody Fleisch to my Johnny Storm, the Doug Williams to my Mark Sloan, the Dean Ayers to my Nick London. It's the meat guy himself, Danny the Scottish Juggalo. How's it going, my man? I'm really well, thank you, Chris. How about yourself? I cannot grumble, mate. All the better for having a relatively cool day to be recording with you. Absolutely. It's absolutely boiling in uh, London, so it was nice to get be able to sit down and talk wrestling with you, Chris. Most definitely, with a, a massive absence of bollock soup, hopefully. Definitely. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, the One Man's Meat podcast is proudly part of the Unbooking the Territory family of podcasts. All of our main episodes are available exclusively on the UTT podcast feed before appearing on the main feed seven days later. However, bonus shows including our horror movie review series Disgusting Offal and Big Meaty Cool solo series Acceptable in the 90s will appear exclusively on the main feed for this podcast. So please search in your podcast provider for One Man's Meat Podcast and subscribe to receive more of our glorious audio which is available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Amazon Music. As always lovelies, if you're feeling particularly generous, any and all reviews placed within your providers will help increase our awareness across the podosphere. So help your brothers out, please and thank you. And speaking of disgusting awful, we've had a, a good run of recording recently and I had a ton of fun talking about The Hitcher with you this month, buddy. Oh, it was fantastic, wasn't it, Chris? A classic 80s film there. It really was, mate, and one that I wouldn't have uh, necessarily thought of as a horror previously, but I'm glad that you suggested it. And, of course, we have our review of House of a Thousand Corpses for the meat scientists to tear into as well, don't we? Yep, absolutely. That's another classic there. 
It most definitely is. And speaking of classics, I wanted to take us back to what was both a happier time and a simpler time in my wrestling fandom. The nascent re-emergence of the British wrestling scene in the early 2000s coincided with my discovery of the smarkier side of my personality. And the biggest contributing factor was the Frontier Wrestling Alliance. Were you familiar with this once great company at all, Danny? I wasn't until uh, we sat down and uh, decided to talk about this, but, but I've seen a few clips here and there on YouTube and on the wrestling channel. Brilliant. Well, it certainly was a, a happier time in my life, and I'm glad I've been able to share it with you. But before I put on my rose-tinted spectacles and give a totally biased account of the good old FWA, it's time to ask, what's your beef? Oh, what, mate? This is Johnny Storm. Brit Rest Pioneer and Merch Table Barrel Boy. When I'm not in the ring performing feats of amazing athletic ability for my age, I'm thinking of new and exciting ways that a fool, i.e. you, can be parted with their money. Therefore, get yourself down to the new and improved Johnny Storm Anything I Can Put My Face On Emporium. We have got t-shirts, DVDs, Stickers, vaginal douches, um, penis pumps, uh, tins of beans, whatever it is. If I can put my face on it, it automatically becomes my intellectual property and I can charge you for it. Get yourself down, pick up a bargain or two or three or four or five at Johnny Storm's Anything I Can Put My Face On Emporium. Back to the show. So, Danny, what's been occupying your time lately? This month, it would have definitely have to be a film called The Father with Anthony Hopkins as the lead. It's uh, really brilliant. And um, have you seen it yourself, Chris? So, I've seen about half of it, which seems to be the, the story of my life at the moment with work and things. But what I've seen of it, I've definitely enjoyed. I mean, um, regardless of genre of film, Anthony Hopkins is one of my favourite actors and um, props to... Olivia Colman as well, which gives a, a fantastic performance. So it's definitely a film that I could not recommend highly enough, mate. So good, good pick there. Thank you. Yeah, really enjoyed it. My um, sister uh, suggested I watch it. It just came out on Netflix, so I was really happy with that. But um, what's your um, beef this month, Chris? So my beef this month was initially the boys because I've I finally started watching it on Amazon Prime, but. Uh, about a week ago, I discovered on Netflix that um, the Resident Evil series had been released, which is uh, my favourite franchise in video games, so I definitely had to start checking it out. So that is my beef for this month, mate. Have you watched any of it at all yet? Yeah, I'm on, uh, I have two episodes in on that, and that is a fantastic little TV series. It most definitely is, mate. I'm about four episodes in, but um, oh, that end of episode two, it really does give you uh, a good setup to what to expect, doesn't it? Absolutely, and it just it just makes you want to come back for more. It does, and um, I mean, giving nothing away because I know we get a a variety of of listeners with like broad opinions and thoughts and feelings, and that's great. I mean, we are a a podcasting safe space, but. Uh, Anybody that's been put off by the fact that the Wesker family seem to be black and mixed race, don't let that put you off. It makes perfect sense once you start watching it. So um, let's just say that Wesker isn't Wesker. So um, if anybody is having um, 
second thoughts based on that. We don't judge, but I will just say, just watch it, because if you're not watching it based on that, then you are missing out on what is a fantastic series. Absolutely. I mean, it just it just sucks you in, doesn't it? It's like, just... <laughs> It really does suck you in. And speaking of being sucked in, I love to be sucked in from our meat ciders in the meatpacking community as we requested some feedback about the FWA. And this is what we got. So first of all, Mr. Clucker It Better himself, Steve-O at Total Steve-O on Twitter, was his usual effervescently honest self by saying, here's my contribution. I've never heard of it. That is just, that is right up um, Steve Vars alley there. It is. And I mean, that is the beauty of the guy in that, you know, he's he's very honest and forthright with his opinions. And that's one of the many things that I love about him. Although I I do feel sorry for any of these um, former female conquests that have listened to his podcast because he really holds nothing back, does he? No, he does not. He, you're always going to get the truth from Steve Vars. You most certainly are. Uh, but thankfully, Daddy Dan at Dan Griffin 21 um, offered us a little bit more of an opinion. So he stated that he didn't know very much about the FWA and had seen even less, but he knew that it was a vital in keeping the British wrestling scene going through the 2000s and was vastly influential in the careers of some of Britain's best, like Zack Sabre Jr., Drew McIntyre, Rockstar Spud, Shah Samuels and Jodie Fleisch and that was the beauty of the early 2000s scene over here mate because um, if guys weren't already active on the scene they were at least training in such places as the FWA Academy, Dropkicks or UK Hammerlock and Dan, Rob and I will be talking about some FWA related goodness on a future episode of Unbooking the Territory. That sounds really cool I can't wait to hear that as well. Yeah, um, I can't wait to record with them, actually. it's It's been a while, so it'd be nice to have a good catch-up with them. But speaking of Daddy Rob, wrestling's nicest podcaster had this to offer. The FWA was bigger than WWE and AEW combined, because neither of those outlaw mudshow promotions could get the mainstream coverage of being on Fort Boyard. Now, you do you recall Fort Boyard at all, buddy? No, I actually think it was... I thought it was a boat, didn't I? <laughs> So it's kind of a um, Takeshi's Castle style show, but just with a very like heavily UK influenced bent. Well, that sounds cool. Is it on YouTube? It most definitely is. Um, it's on the uh, well, th- this particular episode is on the FWA Files account, and that is a, a massive hint to what um, we're going to be looking at. Uh, but. Um, it was relatively big at the time for people that were watching Challenge TV on a regular basis. Yeah, that sounds cool. I'll definitely go and check that out after we finished here. Yeah, brilliant. And um, there was a period in the early 2000s, uh, particularly once the wrestling channel was a thing, that Alex Shane and his band of merry men made appearances on either Sky One or Challenge on a weekly basis. Wow, that sounds cool as well. Yeah, so again, if you have got time, try and look up some episodes of Brainiac Science Abuse, the the old Sky One show, because Alex Shane was on that chopping onions in a kind of a macho man test, which was quite funny. That does sound entertaining, because um, I do remember Brainiac, you would uh, just see crazy things like exploding microwaves, or how much chewing gum can someone get in their mouth, or things like that. Really cool (laughs) stuff. 
It really was. And our last piece of feedback this month comes from the always entertaining, and I'm not in the least bit biased because he was my best mate at school, but he is an all-round top bloke, Poole Williams at Paul JW. And he writes that the FWA was very important in the 2000s and the Morecambe Dome was an excellent venue as the both of us knew. And he also asks how Alex Shane's investigation into himself was going because we haven't had an update in a few years. I'm, I'm totally in the dark with that, Chris. What, what exactly happened, do you know? So, um, I'm sure you're familiar with the uh, speaking out movement from a couple of years ago, pal. Yeah, absolutely. So, the majority of it seemed to be focused on the UK wrestling scene. I mean, shock horror might also be a little bit noncy, you know. That sounds legit, yeah. <laughs> it certainly does. Um, but there's been reports flying around that um, Alex Shane used to have something that he called a wall of Shane um, in the backstage area. So basically, what this is, to, to cut a long story short, because uh, I've been witness to some of this myself, but not the seedier side of it, is he would find the youngest and prettiest lady that was um, around the wrestling shows, ply them full of drink, um, have his wicked way with them and take a series of photos and share them with the lads in the backstage area. Not good. Not good at all. Not good at all. And um, as I say, I say I've been privy to this. Um, Basically, as part of Alex's quote-unquote entrepreneurial spirit in basically spreading his seed among as many um, independent feds as possible. He showed up in New Generation Wrestling, which was um, my local federation over here. And basically, I used to see him at some of the over-18s shows where he would be basically getting young ladies drunk. And I viewed it as somebody that was basically being a little bit seedy, but not having any luck. But now that all the speaking out stuff has come out, you kind of wonder what was happening at that time. Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. Exactly. But going back to my old mate, Paul, uh, Paul used to accompany me to a good few FWA cards at the now demolished Markham Dome. And we had many a good time. And in the first of my FWA stories, um, I remember the two of us sharing a few beers with Joey Hayes and Declan O'Connor, who teamed together as the Manchester Massive. And the pair of them took great delight uh, that Paul had edited his Oasis T-shirt with the old Fluffit pens to promote the album Be Here Now, which surprised the lads as blatantly Oasis have only released two albums, of course. Wow, really? Definitely, yeah, yeah. Um, definitely, maybe. And what's the story? Morning Glory. You know, they had they had nothing else after that, according to the fans. Wow, actually, that's such a shocking, a massive shocker. So yeah, so they got a great giggle out of that because he then um, scribbled out definitely maybe and put be here now on the bottom. Um, and on that same night, he also famously told um, Doctor Dirk Feelgood, who was a legitimate doctor but also wrestled in his spare time, that he had piles during a pre-show Q and A. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, um, Paul was quite the joker and i do miss him terribly uh but that was another good selection of thoughts and feelings there guys and we really do appreciate it but now it's time for the main event 
as we take a look at the Frontier Wrestling Alliance. Now, as is always the case with the One Man's Meat Way, this is going to be part factual discussion and part review, as we're also going to be talking about one of their notable events, the first ever British Uprising. So let's get into it, shall we, buddy? Let's do it, mate. Let's do it. Awesome. So, the Frontier Wrestling Alliance, or FWA for short, was a professional wrestling promotion in Britain. Established in 1993 in Portsmouth as the Fratton Wrestling Association, it became the Frontier Wrestling Alliance six years later and existed in its first incarnation until 2007, when it lost a scripted inter-promotional feud with International Pro Wrestling United Kingdom. As a result of losing, the promotion was forced to close and the company XWA was founded, which was based in Morecambe and largely based on the old FWA, with some old staff and wrestlers as well as some of the championships. However, in 2009, the FWA brand was relaunched again as a separate promotion to the XWA, running for three more years before folding again in 2012. So Danny, the main focus of my time with the FWA was during their first run, though I did regularly go to Morecambe to check out the XWA as well. However, by the time of the 2009 relaunch, I'd completely gone off the idea of giving Alex Shane any of my money, plus we had a wedding to pay for. Thankfully, most, if not all, of FWA's output is on YouTube via the FWA Files account, which is great because they put on some phenomenal shows back in the day. So I think for the sake of the length of this show, we should talk about the initial run of the FWA and maybe revisit the relaunch for another time, mate. What do you think? That sounds cool, Chris, mate. Yeah, definitely. And any time you don't give money to Alex Shane is a good thing, isn't it? It most certainly is, yeah. So the FWA was initially set up in 1993 by Mark Sloan, who was a wrestler and trainer based in Fratton, who wanted to create a forum for serious wrestling training and performance based in Portsmouth. The Fratton Wrestling Alliance, as it was known to begin with, experienced a renovation in 1999 that geared it towards national expansion and promoted its first show in February of that year, the imaginatively titled FWA One, changing to Frontier Wrestling Alliance by the second show in June. The promotion was now being run by Mark Sloan and film and TV producer Elisa Cabrera, and they soon produced a regional television programme in Portsmouth, as well as founding a training academy to create its own talent. Now, Danny, the academy produced some of the best-known stars on the British scene, with some even going on to find fame in WWE, Ring of Honor and TNA, and I'm sure we're going to talk about some of these luminaries in both this episode and in the future. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I had a quick look at the roster and you could definitely see some names that even I would recognise. Yeah, definitely. And um, there's there's one person that's not actually on the British Uprising card that I just wanted to mention very quickly because uh, I'll be honest, I, I forget about him because of his nationality, to be honest. But there was a guy called PJ Black that trained in Portsmouth that um, you may know better as Justin Gabriel yeah definitely uh, from the Nexus 
That's right, yeah. So he actually found his first bit of fame in the FWA, um, regardless of what they tell you um, in the WWE about him uh, being a star in South Africa. Oh, that's pretty cool. I didn't know that. Oh. Well, there you go. Uh, but the emphasis on um, new wrestlers that were suited to working at a more American style organically led to an early storyline of new internationally influenced wrestling clashing with traditional British wrestling with some veterans brought in to help promote the FWA's own performers. And um, you kind of see the back end of this on the British Uprising card because there's this um, old school faction that are kind of on the outs by the time um, of this show happening. Yeah, you could definitely see that. Yeah, so the FWA creates a a British championship um, later on in 1999 and in 2000, they also crowned tag team champions as they continued their expansion, but they were mostly performing across the south of the country. By the August of 2000, the FWA began promoting shows with foreign talent, initially using the likes of Sabu and Dan Seven, and they would continue to do so during their first run by cross-promoting with other promotions, which would eventually lead to the British Heavyweight Championship being won by Christopher Daniels with the belt being defended purely on international soil during his reign, and a joint promoted event happened with American independent promotion Ring of Honor in 2003. Now, for me, Danny, Christopher Daniels was an unsung hero in the re-emergence of British wrestling, and his storyline of taking the FWA title hostage and only defending it on American soil led to an absolute banger of a match with Doug Williams in Ring of Honor that opened my eyes to the both of them as international stars of the future. Now that sounds like something I definitely want to see now. <laughs> Most definitely, and I'm sure that the um, the Doug Williams match uh, between him and Chris Daniels is on YouTube as well somewhere. If not, when you eventually make yourself to Hull, we'll we'll watch it over breakfast or something. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool as well. <laughs> <laughs> Good man. So the FWA were using international stars to gain notoriety and uh, they even hosted the XPW European Championship Um, and they were further aided in their advertisements when Alex Shane became a regular presenter on national talk radio station TalkSport aiding the company's expansion into the north of England. So this is one of the things that a lot of um, smart fans, including myself, kind of clung to in the early 2000s because... um, Alex Shane and Tommy Boyd had a, a Saturday evening um, kind of talk wrestling style show on, on TalkSport, if you could get the reception for it. No, that sounds cool. So I think um, there's an account on Twitter that uploads uh, various clips of that. That's right. And um, as I say, we've mentioned Alex Shane's name uh, a couple of times so far in this recording. And I am afraid that we cannot talk about the FWA without also talking about the original snake oil salesman of British wrestling. And that's Alex Shane, I'm afraid. Definitely, but we'll get through it, Chris. We'll get through it. We will get through it, and we'll try and keep it to a minimum as well, because um, if anybody from the original FWA doesn't deserve any publicity of the kind, it's him, to be quite frank. Uh, But the ties with TalkSport became important when the FWA promoted a show called Revival, which was broadcasted from the Crystal Palace Indoor Arena, which was broadcast both live on radio and later on nationally through the old Bravo channel. Now, this event included international stars such as the recently released Eddie Guerrero and Brian Christopher, 
And while it was shown in an edited format, Danny, it came off brilliantly on TV. That's something I really want to go and see as well. I mean, um, Eddie Guerrero was definitely in his prime at that point. He definitely was. And again, just flicking through the, the YouTube account, the FWA files, I'm pretty sure that they've got the uncut event on there as well. So, yeah, um, I'm, I'm definitely going to watch it myself as well. 100% we need to review that on here. We really do, yeah, m- most definitely. Um, especially if uh, this look at British Uprising is anything to go by. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we went on a... 18 month run of purely being a FWA review podcast from like kind of going on in, you know. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but the FWA would become known in the UK for putting on some of the biggest events on the scene during their first run. And we could have chosen any of them, Danny. We really could. But I particularly wanted us to take a look at the first British uprising from the 13th of October 2002. Now, this was not only to showcase the matches that the company were putting on, because they were very underrated bangers, but also as a basis to discuss some of the great homegrown and international stars that they were employing. So this won't be a, an in-depth move-by-move review of the show itself. It's going to be more of a focus on the people involved and their place in the company. So I felt that a combination of the two allows a focus on where the scene was in the early 2000s and also shows the FWA's role in the development of some talent that would go on to bigger things. So how does that sound to you, Dan? That sounds really cool. Let's get into it, Chris. Brilliant. So first things first, to any of our listeners that haven't seen any of the FWA before, particularly talking to you, Steve-O, because you're missing out, um, we've mentioned this account a couple of times, but do please subscribe to the FWA files on YouTube and try to rectify the fact that you've not seen any of it, because this stuff ages really well. And there's so many future stars of the scene on these shows. So most, if not all, of the initial run and the reboots are on there as well. And it's all ace. So going into our event, the first British uprising was held at the famous York Hall in London before a crowd of approximately 1,000 people, with commentary covered by Tony Giles and Nick London. And I loved these two, Danny. They were just a couple of fans that actually came to watch the show and got involved recording the commentary afterwards when they were doing the editing. But being based in the North, I knew very little about what was going on with the FWA outside of magazines. So these two, from a commentary point of view, were making sure that the viewers knew what was going on in the timeline, because this would have probably been a first watch for a lot of people. And they did a really good job of keeping the matches flowing as well, mate, didn't they? Yeah, they really did, and um, I mean, they they were enthusiastic all night, all of this show, and um, yeah, I, it was the first time I've heard them as well, they were really good. They were, but before we even begin to talk about what was going on at the event, buddy, how good were the production values here for 2002? Excellent. I mean, we mentioned it um, just off camera, just before we started recording. Um, this felt like it was closer to today, like say mid two thousands rather than early two thousands. Um, really, really impressed, and that that goes the same with um, all of the videos on the FWA files. There's a lot of it is in very good quality, so I was very impressed. Yeah, it is, and um, especially during the initial run, um, I, I can't really speak for the reboot because I've not watched any of it yet, but 
presentation was something that Mark Sloan was really proud of and part of his training of his students also included filming and, and sound editing and um, Mark and his team would would go on to do a lot of stuff for IPW and um, for the old 1PW company as well. Now that's really cool as well, they're very, very skilled. Definitely and it really shows here as well so um, after the pomp and circumstance and fireworks the opening contest was a number one contenders match for the All England title, which was the secondary title in the FWA, as James Ty, Jack Xavier and Raj Ghosh phased off in what was an exciting opener from three of the Star Academy trainees at the time. Now, James Ty, Danny, was a particular favourite of mine because I was quite the work rate wanker at the time. <laughs> Wow, no, that's pretty cool as well. Um, yeah, these th this match just it was a perfect way to start a wrestling show. A really good triple threat match. It was. It was. It was really fast paced. So a quick little bit of background on these guys. So um, James Ty was the first graduate of the FWA Academy and their first Academy champion. And at the time, I thought that this guy was going to be the definite breakout star in UK wrestling. I'm shocked he wasn't, to be honest with you. He was, um, he was excellent here. He was. And, uh, I mean, sadly, while it didn't happen for him, he did have a, a good little career in Europe. He, he mostly showcased his technical prowess for Premier Promotions, which was a, a company based in the south of England. And um, towards the end of his run in the FWA, he developed a, a very cool little... Um, heel role as well so kind of mixing a bit of his technical style with some cheating and uh, he, he memorably lost a, a loser wears a clown suit match to Spud in the FWA. Now that, that has, I have to see that now, I've written that down. <laughs> yeah most definitely um, I'll have to have a look at uh, when that match happened but I think it's sometime in 2004. Uh, and then we get Jack Xavier, who largely disappeared from the scene after 2005, so I don't know a lot about him, to be honest. But he kind of was that Tommy Dreamer-style working-class hero in the FWA and would be an early challenger for a heel Alex Shane in the mid-2000s, but would go on to retire in 2005. Um, now, this is one of those guys where I liked his in-ring work, but I hated his gear. Very much a, a pleather boy, wasn't he? He was, yeah, even in this match you could see, but that's definitely another one I'll go and look up as well. I mean, a short career. It is, and to be honest, I think um, the vast majority of the matches you'll find will be in the FWA as well, but, um, you know, he's, he was quite a, a mainstay in the, um, in the big years for this company, so uh, definitely worth your time if you can find some matches of his. Absolutely, I'll, I'll have a look after this. Wonderful. And then our third performer was Raj Ghosh, who was another Academy graduate. Now, I'm pretty sure that he's still wrestling because um, I follow him on Twitter, but his cage match profile hasn't been updated past 2007. But this is a guy that his work as a heel is absolutely fantastic. So um, this guy eventually goes on to find notoriety as a member of the um, family staple that was um, kind of just on the up around this time and um, believe it or not he was only 17 during this match mate 
Wow, that actually blew my mind. I didn't wouldn't have guessed that. I thought he was at least in his twenties. Well, yeah, because he's he's surprisingly solid for somebody as as young as that, isn't he? In this match, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's the fact that he is possibly wrestling now comes as no surprise now, but it's pretty cool. Exactly, that's it. I mean, he'll he'll barely be. I mean, he won't even be forty, will he? He'll be in his late thirties. But but these three, they have tremendous chemistry for this match, don't they? Yeah, they really do. They worked it really well, and the crowd was really into the whole match. Yeah, definitely. And kind of this is the the kind of match that you would expect for a for a card like this as, as an opener. I mean, they've got amazing chemistry, and um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of chain wrestling and submission spots that I love. Uh, but the finish really stood out for me. Um, you know, like it was a it was back and forth. For the three of them, and then James Ty goes on to win this match via a pin, but he somehow manages to roll up Xavier while simultaneously hurling Gosh over with a German suplex. I mean, what an incredible finish! That's revolutionary stuff. It's stuff that makes, um, if we, if I can sound biased, that makes stuff like the British stand out, and it's um, really cool. Most definitely, mate. And matches like this, uh, particularly on the the Brit rest scene showed that the FWA Academy was full of strong talent. And and one day, uh, as we constantly return to the FWA, I would love to watch an Academy show with you, mate, because I've got several of them. That sounds pretty cool as well. Let's do it. Let's do it indeed. So after what was a cracking opener, there was a chance for the crowd to get their breath back as the show stealer Alex Shane returned from injury to address the crowd as well as the old school faction who had injured him and promised to get his revenge by making sure that Jodie Fleisch left York Hall as the FWA British Heavyweight Champion. Now Danny, I'm ashamed to admit that back in the day I was an Alex Shane guy, but taking nothing away from him, he was an excellent talker, which was a device that he used as a face or heel to get what he was booking over to the crowd. It was, and it shows here perfectly. I mean, hats off to the commentary team as well. Um, as you said earlier, they're really giving us um, storyline elements. And I thought um, Flash Barker just looked legit, didn't he? He kind of reminded me of British Bulldog a little bit with his gaze. And uh, he kind of just it, he just looked like a threat to Alex Shane. Um, we'll, we'll go into this more, but um, what did you think initially of this whole segment, Chris? So, I'll be honest, I, I found it a little bit hard to understand what was being said once the old school faction came through because the sound quality was a little bit out and it was a little bit too insidery. So, um, I mean, I I never actually listened to the TalkSport show, but apparently Dean Ayers was a regular um, call-in to the show itself and that's where the... Um, the theme tune came from that Alex kept getting to play over the PA. But, um, I mean, I'm sure a lot of the fans in your call understood it, but for me, it kind of fell on deaf ears. And I think it would for a lot of people that kind of, you know, couldn't necessarily get the reception for TalkSport at the time. So it was a little bit too smart slash insidery. But, um, I mean, both Alex and Dean did their very best to kind of keep the core storyline going. So... I think they managed to kind of get their point across. 
yeah definitely it made me want to see what happens next but the only thing the only complaint i have about it is alex shane getting up too quick from the steel chair shot and then just running backstage and then no follow-up but um i mean that gives us reason to tune in for the next show yeah definitely yeah he he certainly wasn't one for selling um but to be fair to him he did work hard to reinvigorate british wrestling in every facet so Mm. from from work to production to presentation and he deserves a lot of credit but he's also a man with more front than bridlington beach as well as being a con artist and a wrong un. well said chris well said <laughs> <laughs> but i loved his line about how he vowed to take out the old school brick by brick before mark sloan attacks him with that chair um, regardless of the aftermath um it was a, a good little angle i think to kind of give a bit of a breather to the fans before the next match yeah it definitely was and it got flash barker over as a um, monster in my eyes yeah definitely like he he looked like somebody that you would expect to be taking the the heavyweight title by the end of the night didn't he yeah he definitely did he did but moving on to our next match which was for the fwa all england championship with the champion the zebra kid facing another fwa original in haid vanson now, I don't know if you know much about Zebra Kid, mate, but he was a product of the legendary Knight family, which includes Dad Ricky, Matriarch Sweet Soraya, former WWE star Paige, and current up-and-comer and third-generation talent Ricky Knight Jr., who I believe is the Zebra Kid's son. Wow, that's actually... I'm shocked actually hearing that. <laughs> well, yeah, like, given that his name isn't Ricky, so he's... You know, he's technically a, a junior, but not from, I mean, you know, there's a lot of um, tales about inbreeding in, in, in the Britbreast family, but I'm I'm pretty certain that his granddad isn't his real dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the Zebra Kid at this time seemingly had everything and could adapt to most styles. And he was known in the FWA um, a couple of years after this show for having a underrated feud with his own father who despised the new style of british wrestling that his son has exhibited so before watching uprising had you seen much of the zebra kid in action at all not at all no um this was the first match i've seen him in and i was yeah it was i really enjoyed it cool so um so currently um i don't know if you're familiar with this team but um on the british scene there's a tag team known as the UK Hooligans, which is um, the Zebra Kid and Zach Zodiac, who are both brothers. Um, so that's currently what he's doing at the moment. Well, that's pretty cool as well. I'm glad to see he's still wrestling. Yeah, he is. I mean, he's again, he's another one of these guys that's a lot younger than he looks. I mean, I, I think at the very oldest, he's probably my age, so early 40s or something like that. Yeah, definitely. So about here, he would have been early 20s or... Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and then we move on to Haid Vanson, who was playing a a white meat babyface here with some added low-key vibes, but would really come into his own as the cocky South City thriller heel character that he would develop around 2003-2004. And he's the first of our guys on this card who would kind of make it to the WWE, 
Yeah, kind of, sort of, in a roundabout way, wouldn't he, Chris? <laughs> yeah, he would. I mean, I, I, don't get me wrong, this guy was a natural talker and he was smooth enough in the ring, but in all honesty, I was surprised that of all people on the scene in the UK and of all people on this card, that he would be the guy that would get signed. And then have a rumoured uh, build-up to a match with The Undertaker at WrestleMania. That's just, it still blows my mind. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I'm, I'm taking nothing away from him. And, you know, if this was 10 years later, he would have probably have had that weird Barrett-style rub with the company. But it's hard to see where he would have gone past that proposed feud with The Undertaker. Yeah, I mean... We'll we'll have a Hayd Vanson episode in the future, but I mean just oh, quickly, just quickly, I think he would have had a heel stable or something like that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I again, like, I, I don't want to take too much away because we will revisit this because we will definitely have an episode on this guy because I'm very fond of him. But I think the plan was um, was for him to be leading a heel stable that would lead to him eventually facing the Undertaker at Mania, but. Um, yeah, I could I could see it have been um, dumped on quite a lot once people saw what he looked like in the ring. I mean, taking nothing away from him, like this is a guy that held tag titles with John Moxley in, in Puerto Rico and was a fantastic wrestler, but he would have been badly exposed, I think. Yeah, unfortunately, WWE just can't get over that size detriment. But, I mean, it would have been a really interesting storyline, especially the promo build-up. It would, because, I mean, again, this guy is a fantastic worker, but his absolute A1 strength was the fact that he could talk people into the building. And, like, I used to watch the FWA weekly on, on the wrestling channel, and, like I say, this was at the smackiest point of my fandom, so... He was a guy that kept me watching because he just his his mic work was absolutely phenomenal. He really stood out from the pack in the UK. He really did, and it, that even transitioned over to um, some of his work in uh, Florida Championship Wrestling in uh, the late 2000s. He has had a couple of matches on there that are on YouTube, and unfortunately, he didn't really cut too many promos there. But he, he was definitely a character worth watching. He certainly was, and um, obviously he felt he was worth watching because post-wrestling, I believe he's an actor now, but um, short of a couple of episodes of The Bill, I've not really seen him in anything. He's in The Bill? Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of people were around that early 2000s time, but yeah, he had a, a couple of kind of like um, baddie of the week roles in The Bill. No, that's really interesting. Steve will be really happy with that. Well, I think I think Steve will be showing us the, the, the gory details on Twitter once this episode's out. But back to the match. So both of these guys were quite young in their careers and they really came to impress. So this was a really hard-hitting athletic contest that still holds up very well. I mean, for me, this match wouldn't look out of place on any episode of NXT or AEW, would it? No, definitely not. It was, to me, it was... Uh... It just fell short of match of the night, but it was really entertaining. Um, I found that they had too much time outside of the ring, but if you can ignore that, uh, I think it was an excellent match. It was. And, um, I mean, while both of these guys were pretty much baby faces, um, the Zebra Kid really read the crowd well and kind of brought some of that old-school style cheating, didn't he? Definitely. 
yeah, which kind of builds up to the to the finish. So the the zebra kid distracts the referee to deliver a low blow to Hansen, um, which causes Vanson to miss uh, a top rope splash. Um, but then Kid uh, manages to hit a Randy Savage style elbow drop to retain the All England title. And like you say, this is just a an excellent match, isn't it? Which is going to be the story of this night. It really is, yeah. And now he will face um, James Ty in the future, which I'm really interested in seeing. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's the next show on the, the FWA file stuff as well. So, uh, yeah, um, I think it's a show that I've not actually watched as well. I think the DVD I've got after this one is uh, Seasons Beatings, I think, which is a couple of months later. So, yeah, it's something that I am most probably going to watch um, tomorrow as well because I've got another day off. So that'll be something to look forward to. Absolutely. I mean, all of this is just great. I mean, I'm just excited that it's all on YouTube and in such good quality. So I'm excited to review more of this. Ladies and gentlemen, we are but a short step away from One Man's Meat becoming an FWA review podcast, and I couldn't be more excited. But I'm very excited to talk about the very next match, buddy. I'll tell you what, Pitbulls, you see tonight, we've been training hard. We haven't been eating the pies like you have. We've been going down the gym every single day, getting ready for this match. And do you know what? I'll tell you why. It's not because we are that good, but <laughs> we are. It's because we are the new breed. We are the future. But we've been lacking that gold around our way. But instead, we don't want your burgers, we don't want your fitness Jenny Craig plan. All we want back is our belts, and tonight is our chance. We've been fighting our way up the ranks. Tonight, we get those belts back. Simple, Pitbulls. You're going there tonight with us, you're coming out minus the belts. Now, not particularly for the two teams involved, as both the New Breed and the UK Pitbulls were pretty much standard fare in most British companies at the time. But before the New Breed could even make it to the ring, Kev gets absolutely obliterated by the FWA's rookie monster, Paul Burchill. The new breed found favourites with the crowd, always have been, always will be. What the hell? It's, it's Burchill! Rolling Samoan crash and a star! Standing moonsault! He's got a table. This can only mean trouble for anybody in the area. And there is not a pirate costume in sight, is there? <laughs> no, there's absolutely not. He... This was the best Paul Birchall I've ever seen, to be honest with you. This was brilliant. He was used uh, in a really cool way. Um, I was actually looking forward to this match, but I was more excited about their angle afterwards. And, um, yeah, Birchall himself, it was just, just absolutely a monster here. He was a monster. So this is going to be the uh, the superstar focus for this match because this guy at the time was the FWA Academy's shining success. And I would argue he was their number one success story with regards to where his career went because he spends a good time on WWE TV in the mid-2000s. So he was starting to get introduced here to the FWA fans as a real disturber exhibiting his impressive power to put unsuspecting opponents away. Now, by British standards, 
he was a big guy and would end up being managed by Dean Ayers when he eventually turned to face in a Lesnar and Heyman type pairing. Now his most notable feud would be with Alex Shane in the FWA in 2004 where he unsuccessfully challenged him for the British heavyweight title before leaving the FWA at the end of 2004 to report to OVW. But before he left, he would notably team with the legendary Terry Funk at British Uprising 3. But as you said yourself, I mean, Paul Birchall was just awesome, wasn't he? He really stood out from the ground. Absolutely. It's just a damn shame. WWE had two ridiculous characters for him. One a pirate and one somebody who's having an affair with his sister apparently but <laughs> oh man i know you, like th- this is the thing so like he he has his short time on smackdown to begin with doesn't he and i'll be honest the the pirate character for me was a bit of a guilty pleasure because i knew it wasn't going to go much further so i was happy with that but honestly for him to go back to OVW and develop that amazing ripper character that was a fantastic character them to say right we're going to bring you back and it's going to be a potential incest angle that just doesn't sit well with me even though he made the best of a bad job in ECW didn't he he really did and um, the thing I was most impressed about him is both of those gimmicks he managed to get action figures and end up on uh, computer games from it so I guess it was kind of a success it made some money off of it but what could have been, especially if you look back on this show, what could have been, Chris? Certainly, yeah, most definitely. Like, um, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong, um, looking at this with, like, 2022 eyes, I mean, I don't think this guy was going to be, you know, the next Brock Lesnar or anything like that. But, but this guy could have had a very respectable career in the WWE. And again, like I said about Haid Vanson, if this guy had come along 10 years later... I think he would have had a more respectable build. Absolutely, yeah. And um, I'm with you kind of with the um, pirate gimmick being a guilty pleasure. It was just clear that Pirates of the Caribbean came out around that time and they thought, oh, let's just put it on him. He's English. Let's put the gimmick on him. But um, as I said, he made money with it. But yeah, it did it yeah. hurt him long run. No, he did. And I've, I've just come to the end of that on my... Um, kind of looking back watch along in WWE I'm, I'm currently at 2006 on the network so I've just experienced the joy of him kind of having William Regal as a player thing so uh, it's it's all good definitely when William Regal comes out in the dress and everything like that yeah I mean I was I was hoping that he would wrestle as the teddy bear but that was just reserved for a vignette really wasn't it you know the teddy bear with a big lipstick um, thing going on well yeah yeah and uh, I, I thought it was kind of going to bring more pirates to the uh, to SmackDown, but it never materialised. Sadly, not. No, we we didn't get to see Shelley Martinez as a as a buxom wench, did we? At least not for another year or so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. There's a um, a picture uh, from a I think it's a dark match, or it might have been on Velocity, where um, she appears in that character. Um, it's really cool as well. We should post that to the. Um, to the Twitter. Definitely, mate. Please do. Uh, but going back to our tag team title match, um, because of the actions of Paul Birchill, it ends up being a two-on-one squash as the orange and black attack of Bulk and Big Dave of the UK Pitbulls 
decimate Poe Ash with a powerbomb slash X-Factor combination to retain in less than three minutes. So after what were two opening bangers to the card, this was more of a spectacle really, wasn't it? It really was, yeah. And the team of the UK Pitbulls, my God, I mean, just how impressive did they look? Yeah, too, right. I mean, to be as, as big as that and, and do what they did, um, and they've, they've recently made a a comeback as well but in their downtime mate you might recognize bulk the bigger guy of the two from tna british boot camp too wow he was in that as well he was so um you know the kind of those um x factor style stand in front of al snow and gail kim and the team and display your character yeah do you remember those two fat blokes in the Canadian tuxedos that just screamed the name of their tag team out loud? No, no, this is going back too far. <laughs> it is, but Bulk was one of them. So um, for a while, um, Dave, the slimmer of the two, um, he had to take some time off for health reasons, which seemed odd given that Bulk was the big big fat fatty of the two but he was still the active wrestler believe it or not while dave had to take some time off because of his health so um yeah he tried to get in tna and he got royally um embarrassed by the panel bless him up next the judges may want to take cover as it's time for the unnatural disasters What you think you're looking at? Come on, Alan, you're lying. We are beyond natural disasters. We are the biggest. We are the baddest. And we are the most in your face tag team there is today. Well, we Look at us, hey. I tell you what. Look at We've been around this business quite a while. We've been in the smallest shows. We've been in the biggest shows all over Europe. And I tell you what, we're going to come here to TNA Boot Camp to show you and to show you what big guys in Britain are all about. Okay. Okay. All right. Are you, are we done? <laughs> Disaster! <laughs> okay. Yes. Let's hang on for a second. Oh. Just for a second. Just so we can ask you a few questions. We just want to get to know you. But in this day and age, you know the, the hardest thing to do, get off the ropes, is you're trying to sell an act that now is going to cost me twice the money to book. What, yeah, I'm mean, worth it. Yeah. So, we are, what you're looking at is an 800 plus pound tag team, yeah? There aren't many of them Absolutely, about I agree. You, you guys have a, a great look. You, you did a, an amazing job on the promo, okay? But the, the, the bottom line is that I'm going to have to invest double in everything I do with you than I would with just one of you. We can only move one of you forward. So you guys decide which one it is that we're going to move forward. It's up to you. the opportunity of a lifetime and which one takes the back seat. I owe this guy a lot. Both of us or none of us. That's what we want. We want an opportunity. So do you want us in or do you want us out, Joe? 
I'm going to have to say, concern, physically, I have to be blunt. I've watched you get up on the steps. I've watched you when you just got up off the mat. Being an Impact Wrestling superstar, you're going to be in there with some guys that really can move and haul ass. I'm concerned that you're not going to be able to keep up with them. I understand you're going to physically rely a lot on your partner, but you can't always rely on your partner. And that's going to put you in a situation where either you could get hurt or another person could get hurt. And that's being irresponsible. So unfortunately, guys, even though we were incredibly impressed with what you've done and your energy and everything else, we're going to have to pass. But we do appreciate you guys coming out. You want to see us move? Make it through. Hey. Okay. No, we're done yet, boys. Give you a physical. I, it's not about giving a physical. Why? You're asking us. You're questioning. I'm you. not asking you. So now, listen. You want to shut up. Learn respect. You understand? I've been doing this twice as long as he has. So don't you dare talk to me like that, ever. Just give us an opportunity. Shut up. You had your opportunity. <clears throat> Captain. Leave. Disaster! Oh, wow. That's something I'm definitely going to check out as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's on YouTube. I mean, I, I watched it at the time and I just cringed because um, uh, my wife will watch some of the more reality-based stuff with me and um, I basically said, oh... I know that bloke as um, as bulk waddled out and she looked at me as if to say, are you for real? Is that a wrestler? Is this what you watch? Um, and that's why I watch all my wrestling in a separate room now, buddy. Don't we all, Chris, don't we all? <laughs> well, I mean, you're all right. You can watch it in any room you want, can't you, for the time being, until you make an honest woman be girlfriend? Maybe one day, maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> Good man. So, that match ended quite quickly, and in spite of what the fan base wanted at the time, early 2000s Britrest cards would have a Legends match, and British Uprising was no different, as Drew McDonald and Robbie Brookside would wrestle to a double DQ after an uncontrollable brawl around ringside that resulted in referee Scott Conway being shoved to the ground by both men. Okay, brother, what we have here... Is a brand new Drew McDonald, a whole new Highlander from hell, a loose cannon. No more Dinaeus walking me to the ring like some pet dog. No more vixen leading me to the ring trying to steal my glory. I am the man, and if you want to be the man, you've got to beat the man. And Brookside, you've been sticking your nose in my business everywhere I go. TWA shows. FWA shows, I don't care where they are, you are always in my face. Well, tonight, Brookside, I am going to rip your heart out and eat it while your stinking body is still squirming in the ring. Now, both Robbie Brookside and Drew McDonald would be mainstays of the first incarnation of the FWA for different reasons. So Drew would end up joining the cult-like heel stable, the family, as a guiding figure to the young guys who had banded together to right their personal wrongs with the company, while Robbie Brookside would eventually 
turn heel on the FWA fans due to their preference of the American style over the traditional British style of wrestling. He would hold the British heavyweight title for a good while, holding it hostage until Johnny Storm would take it off him in the FWA's new home base of Morecambe. That sounds pretty cool as well. It's, um, uh, Robbie Brookside, I remember most from um, his appearances on WWE television. Yeah, he was um, Yeah, he was the kind of um, prototypical UK jobber for a few years, wasn't he, whenever they'd come over to film Raw and SmackDown. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, uh, probably the most humiliating thing that happened to him is the job to Shane McMahon. Oh, yes, he does, doesn't he? Yeah, was, was that around the time that... Um, Umaga was hanging around him. Yes, it was, yeah, 2007. And um, that's where I first heard of Robbie Brookside. And, um, I mean, he, there's no doubt he's a legend. I mean, he's done so many things. He's up there with William Regal, isn't he? Yeah, he, he definitely is. And um, he filmed a series for, I want to say it was BBC Two. And it was basically like um, road diaries of his travels. And it was kind of controversial at the time because he revealed a lot of like wrestling's secrets on the UK scene. Um, I'm pretty sure that you can find it somewhere, maybe on archive.org or something like that. But it's it's quite a good series to watch if you're interested in kind of like the history of British wrestling. Yeah, definitely. Especially with him uh, being as legendary as he is. It's like... He's another guy who seemingly doesn't age, isn't he? Yeah, definitely. Like he, he looks no older here than he does twenty years later. You know, just, yeah, just that's... A, apart from the haircut, really. Yeah, the forced haircut that WWE probably made him get um, to be one <laughs> of their trainers. <laughs> probably. So, what did you make of this match, mate? This was a match of the night. Um, there was a lot of story in it. Um, I really liked Drew McDonald. Um, and, yeah, there was a lot of back and forth in this. The finish, um, I found, was a bit rushed. But um, at le- I did write down, at least it continues the feud where we can see more. Because now we've got we've got a um, kind of like a heel referee. And he gets clocked at the end as well, which um, always gets a pop from the crowd. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed it, but I think it could have gone a bit longer. What do you think, Chris, of the match? Okay, so like I I can kind of look at this match from two different points of view. So I think if it's your first watch of the FWA, having seen what you've seen leading up to this match, um, I can see how somebody would find this a little bit plodding, um, if not offensively long. However, for people that kind of look into the history of the FWA, this was booked as something of a feud in the company. So the pacing of it makes sense. But I mean, for me, I think the crowd really ruined this match because this isn't what they've come to see. I can see that point as well. Yeah, it was like it was very questionable. Some of it, some of like like the the uh, double disqualification was kind of like what happened here yeah and that's the thing i mean i looking back i i really don't mind the finish but i can see like if i'd if i'd made it to your call for this um i genuinely think that the crowd would have ruined this match for me really like regardless of what i saw because what is going on in the ring is actually really good but the crowd really take me away from it but it's always nice to see robbie brookside in the ring and he keeps himself quite busy these days, doesn't he? He does, yeah. And now he's training um, 
uh, in the WWE Performance Center. So he's a very busy man. <laughs> he is, and his daughter's going from strength to strength in NXT UK as well. I mean, she's a very underrated heel character at the moment. Yeah, definitely. That's someone I need to check out as well. I haven't seen too much of her, but I've heard she was on there. Yeah, she's great. Um, it, it's quite weird, really, because obviously her um, her dad's quite the scouser, and um, she's got this very like cut glass Leicestershire accent. But the wrestler that she's um, aligned with at the moment, I, I can't remember her name for the life of me, but she's got the thickest scouse accent I've ever heard, and she could pass for Robbie Brookside's daughter. She's got the hair and everything. Well, that's I'll definitely check that out. <laughs> Good man. Well, talking of checking things out, our next match was one that was almost a snapshot of the worldwide independent scene in 2002 as Jerry Lynn and the anarchist Doug Williams faced off. Now, Jerry Lynn needs no introduction as this man is a veteran of every major company in America, either in a mask or not in a mask. He really is. I mean, he's. you can see why he was booked for the main event of this particular part of it. Um, what amazed me is he looked exactly the same as he did in ECW here. He did. I mean, he had this period where he just didn't age one bit at all. And, like, even now with him being, like, clean-shaved and the short haircut, he now finally looks his age, doesn't he? He really does, yeah. But you could see... Um, I mean, the fans absolutely loved Jerry Lynn here. Absolutely. They did. And this guy was very well known to the FWA in the early 2000s. And apparently he loved coming over because of the rabid British fan base. But he was always the guy to showcase an up-and-coming talent. And he was one of the reasons that AJ Styles made it huge in wrestling, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he... There's no way you can't say he didn't do his job. I mean, he came all the way over, and not to give a spoiler, but he did what he did what was right. He really did, and his opponent for the night is Doug Williams, who even now was the standard bearer for the British revival in the early 2000s. He was already going across to the States and Japan, particularly for ROH and Pro Wrestling Noah, and his mixture of power moves and submission wrestling really endeared him to purists on both sides of the Atlantic. I actually got to see Doug in Ring of Honor first, um, so the fact that he was an FWA guy made me want to check them out all the more. Yeah, I mean that I first heard of him uh, through TNA, and I was always impressed with um, his uh, work in the British Invasion. But um, his matches were just outstanding in TNA, even in 2010. He was just putting on barn burners. Yeah, they were. And, like, even now, I mean, he's still having, like, amazing matches for, like, the NWA and the odd progress match and things. So, yeah, he's, he's a guy that's still, you know, doing the UK scene proud. Yeah, and that's a great thing because it wasn't that long ago um, he teased retirement. So I'm glad that didn't uh, follow through. And now he's with um, the Commonwealth Connection with Davy Boy Smith Jr., yeah, that's right. I mean, yeah, that was a it's a, a good little team that he's got going there as well. Um, but this, for me, was the best match on the card. I mean, proper end-to-end stuff and a, a technical masterclass. Like, everything was almost perfect. Like, even the things that were bodged a little bit, like 
the crowd didn't hold them to it and it was a closely fought contest um, it was just what I loved to watch and still do and Doug Williams manages to hit the chaos theory to win the bout um, what did you make of this match pal? Really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed that they kept um, everything in the ring. There wasn't any uh, fighting outside or any referee um, shenanigans or anything like that. So yeah, this was um, it was to me it wasn't the match than that, but it was damn close to it. No, no, good. I mean, um, that, I mean, this was pretty much a a customary match for the British scene. And um, speaking of things that were customary, um, it would now be time for the interval. So this is why this show was split into two parts, although it's all down as, as one video on the YouTube channel. And then following the interval, the first match back would be an intergender contest as the family's The Righteous Paul Travell would face the FWA's homegrown female star, Nikita. For all you people who don't know who we am, we are the family. I am Brendan Thomas, the Messiah. This is Scotty Rock. This is Ian Disciple. And there's Righteous Paul Travell. Well, if I'm my Messiah, I will have something to say about Nikita. See, tonight, we have some family business to take care of. When I first heard I had a match with you, Nikita, I said no. Why would I want to fight a girl? But then, uh, I consulted the Messiah and he told me that an example must be made. Tonight, Nikita, you're that example. You see, we have this little thing that we like to do with steel chairs. It's an example to be set. And tonight, you may find out what a sacrifice is all about. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? This man loves to play with chairs. You see, Scotty Rock is back in the FWA. I'm a calm man now. I've finished my anger management course and I am calm. There's no more voices in my head. I am calm! Can't you see? I am the calmest man in the FWA! And there ain't no man and no one who can stop Scotty Rock! I don't need no more anger management! I'm back in the FWA! Ready to kick some ass! You understand me? And uh, an intergender contest in in two thousand and two, like it's it's almost a staple of the indie scene now, isn't it? Yeah, I was quite shocked to see that. Um, I was thinking, oh, no, this can't be right, is it? And it turns out it is. Yeah, I was um, very surprised. Uh, but Nikita was um, absolutely on fire in this match. She definitely was. I mean, she she really put herself. Um, out there and um Nikita for our for our next um FWA star focus she was a real trailblazer in the early 2000s and was in a lot of intergender matches so at this time she was briefly in a relationship with Alex Shane I don't know whether or not alcohol or drugs were involved or or Polaroids but she, she thankfully managed to escape him um, and she was known really for her one person feud with the family who had focused on her as she was getting the attention that they wanted and she would eventually turn heel a couple of years from now to align with Heard Vanson during his British heavyweight title run before announcing in front of a, a crowd in Morecambe in 2006 that she'd signed with the WWE and I was um, quite privileged to be there for that and uh, 
she got a standing ovation that night. We were all really happy for her. Well, that's really cool. That's a really good moment. But um, did she do anything in WWE? Um, I mean, not an awful lot. I mean, she would go on to be the kayfabe sister of Paul Burchill, but she would eventually uh, have more success in TNA, OVW and the NWA as the mysterious winter. But she was definitely, uh, and this is very rich coming from me because I, I'm not a massive fan of women's wrestling, but she was a very underrated character, an excellent worker who would showcase the quality of British female workers on a worldwide stage. Absolutely. Um, now you said Winter, she definitely had the best theme song in TNA in 2009. I know it's a bit bold statement, but I do remember her theme song more than the actual uh, worker. So talking about Nikita's opponent, Paul Travell was almost the token hardcore worker in the FWA. Um, so he was the mainstay of the family stable. Now these guys were a group of younger FWA workers, almost jobbers, that were sick of being held down. Um, and his character work, especially in the family, really grew on me. And this stable gets far better with the addition of a manager in Greg The Truth Lambert and a guiding figure in Drew McDonald. And then Raj Ghosh eventually joins, who was kind of the, the solid worker of the team. Um, and he would end up teaming with Travel to win the FWA Tag Team titles. Now, there's not an awful lot about Paul Travel online, um, and according to Cage Match, his last match was in 2008 for IPW UK. But personally, I loved his angry little murder dwarf gimmick here. It looked, um, it, it looked like it fit the character. It definitely did. Um, so this match for me was basically a, a little bit of a David versus Goliath affair, which was designed to highlight the, the plucky nature of Nikita facing a misogynistic threat. Um, the family get thrown out early to make it a fair fight, or at least a fairer fight, but Nikita gets the upper hand early on, including a, an excellent plancher to the outside, but this match was mostly one-sided in Travelle's favour, ending with Nikita rallying the best she could before a very sick-looking sacrificial slam by Travelle, which won the match for the family. Now, what did you think of this match, mate, and what do you make of intergender wrestling as a whole? Um, to be honest with you, I haven't seen too much of it, but uh, I'm not uh, a fan of uh, when they do hardcore matches of intergender. It's like, um, I can't remember, I think the first one I saw was Bill Alfonso versus Beulah, if you remember mm. that match, where it was absolute, yeah, it was absolute bloodfest, and I, I was just thinking, nah, this ain't for me, man, this ain't for me, but um yeah, I mean, if, I'm sure if it's done tastefully. I mean, I think TNA Impact did uh, intergender wrestling not that long ago, and it, it, it turned out okay with um, Sammy Callahan and Tessa Blanchard. It turned out okay, but it, I mean, it's never been my cup of tea. But in regards to the match, this was this was a ball of fire, I would say. I mean, there was a lot of energy in there. But what do you think um, about intergender wrestling, Chris? Intergender wrestling really isn't my cup of tea. Um, it's something that's kind of coming around quite a lot on the um, on the Britrest scene, especially with, and I know I'm going to get a lot of flack for this, but um, especially with a lot of the more work companies um, where 
you know, we're, we're all created equal and, and this, that, and the other. But it, I mean, for me, it's just it's a, a simple taste choice. I'm I'm just not into female wrestling. Um, I, I hope this doesn't lose as listeners. Um, but it's it's not for me. And I mean, it's it's got nothing to do with a uh, a man could blatantly beat up a woman because I I don't believe that at all. But it's just something that doesn't appeal to me. So I mean, I. I watched this match for review purposes and I watched it a couple of times obviously when I got this DVD back in the early 2000s but but yeah it's it's not really a, a style of match that appeals to me to be honest for that reason. That's fair, that's understandable. Yeah and then talking of things that didn't really appeal to me um, the next match was almost topical at the time as two former ECW legends squared off as the big effing German Ulf Hermann and Balls Mahoney faced off in a brutal hardcore match. So I'm pretty sure, Danny, that most of our listeners would know Balls Mahoney, and he was a surprisingly good wrestler with an accomplished amateur background, but tended to stick to the hardcore style whenever he could. But I loved here, before the match begins, how he manages to dampen the ECW chants from the crowd and got them to chant FWA by playing to his dislike of Paul Heyman, which I think was very clever from his part. It really was. I mean, the ECW body wasn't even cold yet at this point. They've only been gone just over a year. And um, it was, I think, the promo that Balls Mahoney cut before this match was just a star. It was fantastic. Um where he talked about the uh, TSA agent uh, not letting him through with the barbed wire or the baseball bat, but then he threatened the TSA agent, and it was just so believable. He most definitely was, and a guy that was ever believable, especially on the British scene, was Ulf Herman, who a lot of people are quite surprised that this was an ECW guy, but he was a former member of the full-blooded Italians in the original ECW and made a name for himself in Britain following his run over there. Mostly in the FWA, but would also come back for 1PW, where he would be a proponent of the survival of the sickest match, which was an anything-go-style match that always ended in a bloody mess and what I would always affectionately call entertaining crap. So, with regards to the FWA, he would go on to be a co-holder of the FWA tag team titles with Alex Shane, there's that name again, before going on to feud with him after Alex Shane turned on him. Shane's heel turn would kick off the Wrestling Channel era of the FWA that would expand their awareness across the country and help contribute to them nearly selling out the 3,500 capacity Coventry Skydome for British Uprising 3. So Danny, I enjoy a hardcore match just as long as it doesn't go ridiculously long or descend into semi-deathmatch territory. So for me, this match was ridiculously long, so I wasn't the biggest fan of it. But what did you think to this match, pal? Uh, I was just going to say the same thing. Uh, it did go very, very long, didn't it? It was like, wow, when was this going to end? But, I mean, uh, you've got all the standard balls behind the spots in there. You've got him hitting the chairs, getting the barbed wire out and things like that. I would have cut this match by at least a couple of minutes just to get um, give other matches more time. But it was good to see Balls Mahoney, and I, I think at this point he was still in his prime, he was still very young. 
I think he was still mid thirties at this point. Yeah, he he definitely was, and yeah, like taking nothing away from from either of those guys, but um, but yeah, I mean, this was the longest match on the card at, at the time. It, it goes just over twenty minutes, um, and I I get that the fans were up for it, which kind of made it more enjoyable. But I'm I'm just not massively into that walk and brawl style, to be perfectly honest. And I mean, yeah, it was it, it's it's what you expect from a hardcore match at this time and you know the usual almost predictable finish where Ulf powerbombs balls into a canvas covered in thumbtacks for the win which you saw in a lot of these hardcore matches at this time regardless of the company didn't you yeah you saw uh, and, and you'd see more throughout the rise of um, CZW and things like that um, in the wake of ECW's death there would be a lot of um, sort of people trying to copycat most definitely, um, but you know the fans liked this match, and that's that's all that counts. They they weren't a massive fan of the finish, but um, they do very much vociferously chant for Balls Mahoney to please come back, and of course Ulf would end up being a mainstay for them as well. So at least they had some people that were prepared to work that more hardcore style for them. Herman the German is getting another. Um, I'm going to be looking up his. Uh, um, wrestling career as well especially finding out he's a ecw original i had no idea chris yeah i mean i mean he he didn't do an awful lot in ecw but he was he was one of the guys that kind of added to the the comedy stylings of the fbi gimmick at the time where there was like legitimately one person of italian heritage and the rest of them were just kind of here or there but yeah if you if you get a chance i mean his his work in one pw is just um, it's just very good, to be honest. I mean, I, I know I called his matches in One PW entertaining crap, but I I meant it as a as, as a positive because um, you know he he very much was part of the early main event scene for that company, and uh, he certainly did them no harm. He was he was very good. Yeah, definitely. I'll look him up. Excellent. So we now go to our semi main event, which was definitely one of the matches promoted to sell the most tickets. As 2002's breakout independent star, the phenomenal AJ Styles, would take on Britain's answer to X-Pac, the wonder kid, Johnny Storm. You know what, FWA? I didn't get much sleep last night, and there's a reason for this. This is the uprising of British wrestling. This is the big... One. This is the show to end all the other shows and Johnny Storm is a big part of the FWA so it makes perfect sense to have the best from America and I'm talking about TNA former champion AJ Styles, a great wrestler and it makes sense to have the greatest of the British versus the greatest of American to find out once and for all who is the best. Now FWA is in my blood and it's in my heart and I'm going to do my damnedest to show you the British fans why British wrestling is up there with wrestling around the world because we are the FWA, we are the best and we are the baddest because Johnny the Wonder Kid Storm is here, style in action. And what more can be said about AJ Styles, Danny? Absolutely fantastic. Um, This is prime AJ Styles. Uh, is 
such a good match this is, but we'll get into it. But yeah, AJ Styles fresh faced here. He is, and at this time he was probably in the UK just as much as he was in the US, and in particular, Alex Shane would recognise AJ in various interviews as being an FWA guy just as much as anybody on the regular roster. And given how much he was booked after British Uprising, I would be inclined to agree with him because he definitely turned up for some of the bigger cards over the next two years, having absolute barnstormers with the likes of James Ty, Jerry Lynn, Doug Williams, Jody Fleisch, all of the guys that you would inspect. And at this point in his career, he was a former and inaugural TNA X Division champion, as well as a co-holder of the NWA World Tag Team titles with Jerry Lynn. And at this time as well, he was also helping to put the fledgling Ring of Honor on the map, but still found time to entertain the British fans. And this match was his first appearance for the FWA. That is so cool, because um, any time AJ Styles came over with... um tna to the uk who'd always get massive ovations and i think this is part of the reason why because he did help put the fwa on the map with his um amazing wrestling and things like that yeah definitely and i think tna were quite clever during like the four-year period between 2002 and 2006 in kind of getting some of their more recognizable stars over to the uk because then when the time came for them to tour over here there was a lot of people that, like, casual fans would have recognised, wouldn't they? Yeah, big time. I mean, you'd see Abyss in 1PW and other stars in different promotions. And, um, yeah, it was really good, really smart of TNA at that point before they got greedy. It was really smart. And it was very smart of the FWA to book AJ Styles with Johnny Storm, who was pretty much a fixture of every company in the UK. He was a veteran even before the inception of the FWA and he was a guy that I honestly thought was going to make it to the US on a more permanent basis. But he was known in the Americas at this time for having incredible matches with Jody Fleisch for both XPW and Ring of Honor and even spent some time in Japan with Michinoku Pro. Now this guy was just as famed for his amazing ring work as he was for his ability to squeeze a quid out of fans as he could literally sell anything as long as it had his face on it. That's perfect for being a wrestler. It definitely is. And this entrepreneurial spirit is most probably what enabled him to be one of the only full-time workers in the early 2000s UK scene as he literally wrestled every day of the week and he's still active now and can still have a good match with anybody this guy is both the perfect face and heel on the uk scene and would go on to be the fwa's new school savior when robbie brookside took the british heavyweight title hostage and our storyline of johnny's that i remember was his campaign to be reinstated by the fwa following him losing a, a loser leaves fwa match that facilitated his tour of thailand back in the day but I cannot shake the fact that this guy was a missed opportunity on the world stage, Danny. Big time. Um, the first memory I have of him is they would play these um, promo packages during uh, the Wrestling Channel days. And he had a um, promo package that always sticks in my head. It was, it was uh, a sample of the song One and Only. And uh, it has always stuck in my head. Um, we'll, we'll have to post that to Twitter as well. 
But yeah, I was always impressed with uh, his moves in that little promo package. Yeah, um, he was also one of the guys that um, did the the syncing for the uh, CZW adverts on the wrestling channel as well. I, th- I, th- I think he was... No, he, he wasn't the guy that played the drums. That was Alex Shane. But he did something anyway. He was uh, faffing about somewhere in, in the background. So, yeah, he was he was quite the character. Uh, but this was uh, a wonderfully athletic contest that you would expect from both men at the time. Um, you, you couldn't move for the arm drags um, and a few spots were sloppy, but this was otherwise one of the better matches on the card, with Styles managing to hit an impressive top-rope Styles clash before Storm wins the match with the Tornado DDT counter from a middle-rope press slam attempt from Styles. I mean, was this or was this not one of the better matches of the night? It really was, yeah. It wouldn't be my match of the night, but it was mm. it was absolutely um, up there. I mean, Ed, Ed, the thing about this is AJ Styles at this point was 24 years old. That just exactly. blows my mind. <laughs> that's it, and, 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 and that's the thing. It's like, and, you know, I mean, I, I, know, I know he'd been working here, there and everywhere, but it, it wasn't like he was that widely known at this time either, you know, short of people that might have been watching Thunder the year before. I mean, he, he would have probably been hardly seen over here. So this was a perfect opportunity for him to be put in the shop window, wasn't it, really? Yeah, it really was, yeah. And it was just, you could tell, it was just building his career up to where he is now. So, like, um, yeah, I mean, he there's no doubt he worked hard for what, where he is now. And now we get to our main event of the night, and this was almost a statement of intent by the FWA, as one of the beauties of this company is that they would show that an all-British main event could convincingly top a card littered with international talent, as the Phoenix, Jodie Fleisch and Flash Barker would compete in a ladder match for the vacant FWA British heavyweight title. And Jodie Fleisch was another of the FWA's named talent with international appeal, taking his famous matches with Johnny Storm all over the world for the likes of CZW, ROH and Michinoku Pro. As well as wrestling for the FWA, he apparently was involved in making some of the music for the wrestlers, uh, particularly the theme music for the Pukawan Darren Burridge. But he was a known daredevil who had never met a balcony that he couldn't jump off. And he still wrestles today, but loves to take a few years off now and again. He's notably a member of the 0121 stable in Progress Wrestling, alongside Dan Maloney and Man Like Darice. And this is another guy who was an excellent ambassador for the UK scene at the time when the scene was in flux. And for me, Danny, this is another guy who I thought would at least have made it to the X Division. Big time, yeah. He, um, uh, did he have a few matches in TNA? I think he did. Um, I, I don't think he got as far as the the X Cup, but I think he had the odd um, dark match or something that really, because I know that Johnny Storm had a couple of matches with like moving to Guerrero and what have you, but um, I didn't see anything that Jody Fleisch had that was televised, but I knew he'd gone over for Nashville. Yeah, like um, maybe on the explosion, there was international explosions or something that are just making their um, appearance first of a time. Somebody's uploading a lot of them, uh, and you see a lot of stars that matches that you that you um, may have forgotten about and things like that. Maybe he'll pop up on there. 
yeah, maybe, maybe. It would, it would be cool to kind of keep an eye out for that, but yeah, most definitely. And then we get his opponent, Flash Barker, who in 2002 was a 15-year veteran and a linchpin of the old-school stable of the FWA. But this guy was a notable throwback to an almost shoot-style form of wrestling. But he had an excellent look and played an amazing no-nonsense heel. Post-wrestling for the FWA, he would go on to become an authority figure on screen when was forced to retire due to a nasty knee injury. However, he would eventually return to represent the FWA in the FWA vs IPW UK storyline of 2006. Now, according to Deathmatch, his last match was in 2015 for PWF in West Sussex. So what did you make to Flash Barker then, pal? Legit, he just... I mean, now you've said that he's, he was a 15-year... A veteran at this point um that just it just removes everything from my mind because he definitely had that face of an old school wrestler didn't he it was kind of just like mean mug um yeah really enjoyed him as a character and i look forward to seeing uh, more of his matches yeah definitely he had a very believable like hard-ass character to him didn't he yeah like he'd fit into it like a bruce willis film or something that's it, that's it, most definitely. So going into this match, referee Andy Coyne details the rules for the fans. And Coyne sounded an awful lot like commentator Nick London, didn't he? He did, yeah. I kind of thought it was the same person for a second there. <laughs> well, Danny, you wouldn't be wrong, because it was Nick London all along. Yeah, that, that revelation is just, wow. <laughs> Yeah, so so Nick London was basically Andy Coyne's alias when they needed him to commentate. So, uh, so yeah, it was a, another character that he created just in, in order to kind of do that job. That would save some money for them. It would, but you would also think that they would basically have him not speak on TV as a referee in order to give the game away. But there you go. Everything can't be perfect, sadly. <laughs> no, that's right. That's right. Uh, but this match was... Almost perfect. Um, it followed a lot of the tropes of any decent ladder match. So we had a bigger heel that looked to use power to slow the smaller, more athletic opponent down. We had crazy bumps, including that sick moonsault off the balcony from Jody Fleisch. We had brawling to the outside and, of course, using the ladder as a weapon. So we're ticking a lot of boxes on our ladder match card, aren't we? Oh, yeah, big time, especially today would it hold up today this um ladder match um i personally think it would to be honest i mean i'm i'm but then i'm a bit biased because i i quite like a, a ladder match to be fair yeah definitely i mean it, it was very much of the time but it was very cool to see um these two compete as well um you could definitely see why this was chosen as the main event most definitely. And one of the things um, about this match that I think would help it to stand up today is that the finish is suitably creative. So uh, Barker has things well under control after laying Jody down on the ladder and then crushes him with a running flip before the old school's Mark Sloan would appear and attack Fleisch before handcuffing him to the ropes or at least attending to before then being planted by a vengeful Alex Shane with the one-night stand. 
before Alex then drags Sloan back to the locker room, dropping a key on the canvas for Jody to release himself. And then there was two once again. Both Flash and Barker climb a ladder each and try to grab for the belt. Flash pushes Jody's ladder and he teeters towards the ropes, only for Flash to block his own fall with a foot and propel himself back towards Barker, with the momentum sending Jody crashing into Barker, whose ladder topples over, sending Barker crashing to ringside. Unopposed, Jody Flash grabs the FWA title belt to become the new champion. Alex Shane, Jerry Lynn, AJ Styles and virtually the entire locker room then come out to acclaim Jody in a ticker tape finish, which I felt was a feel-good finish to send the fans home happy. Jody Flash is limp at the moment and Flash Barker sees the opportunity and it looks like he's going for it. This is an example of how the Frontier Wrestling Alliance have screwed around with the old school too long. If pinfalls were being allowed, Flash Barker would have won this match ten times already. And now it's done matter because he's climbing the ladder and he's going to claim the FWA title for himself. That may be true, Nick. Jody Flash is also climbing the ladder as they're both up. They're both about the same position. They're trading blows. I want to want to trade blows with Flash Barker. Jody managed to stop the ladder falling over. No, but the he pushes Flash Barker through the table. Flashes through the table, Jody's still on the ladder. Come on, Jody, you can do no, it. Come on, Jody, no, we're all behind you. Carried. Come on, Jody, Jody you can do it. Just reach, title. reach for the title, Jody. Reach for the title, you can do no. it. Yes! Yes, new FWA undisputed champion, the Phoenix, Jody Flash. Oh, how typical. The referee just woke up and called the match. Jody Flash is the new FWA title holder. Oh, I hope you're happy, Tony. Hope you're happy. A great wrestler in Flash Barker was just screwed again by out of the FWA championship. You know what, Nick? I've got a grin from ear to ear. I am happy. Just like Jody Flash must be at the moment. Undisputed FWA champion at the age of 21 years old. Everybody from the FWA locker room is coming out to congratulate Jody Flash. All of the stars of the FWA are amazed at Jody's efforts. What he went through tonight to win that belt, we have not seen the likes of in a long, long time. Oh, this shows just what the locker room of the FWA are like. They're coming out now and congratulating him. But I bet you one thing, Tony, I bet you this one thing. Each man in that ring at the moment is eyeing Jody Flash hungrily, eyeing his championship. As Jody Flash looks a little bit wobbly there, he looks a little bit wary. He's had the living hell beaten out of him for the last 35 minutes. But Jody Flash proudly stands atop the ladder in the middle of your call, Bethnal Green, with his FWA British Championship. That's always important as well. Is um, I agree with you there. I mean, what I liked about it is. Um, earlier in the night we had the um alex shane getting attacked and so that that was completely logical which i really enjoyed as well yeah it was yeah like like you say it makes a lot of sense that that is the finish to the match but for all of that planning fleisch wouldn't stay champion for long as 12 days later the fallen angel christopher daniels would beat him to not only win the title but declared that he would only defend the title on US soil, which leads to Doug Williams winning the belt back at a Ring of Honor show in March 2003. That's something we're definitely going to have to get into. Um, I'm excited to see that, Christopher Daniels. Um, I remember you talked about it earlier, where he wouldn't defend the title 
on non-US soil. I really want to see that. Yeah, it, it really is quite the the cool angle as well. Like, yeah, he would he would be parading the belt in the early months of Ring of Honor, and uh, and yeah, it, it played up to the kind of angle that he had there as well, where he was um, kind of making himself as like the leader of the old school of, of wrestling again. So uh, so yeah, it was it kind of added to all of that, which was. Uh, really cool he was putting that belt on the map to a, a crowd that would barely know about it in the first place so yeah it was it was really good for the fwa absolutely Let, let's get into that more in future episodes chris we most definitely will and talking about being good for the fwa as an event british uprising literally had something for everyone and while one of two matches weren't specifically to my taste this was the perfect card for the early 2000s Britrest scene, literally having something for everyone and some satisfying ends to long-running storylines. So, after British Uprising, the old-school faction would quickly disband and the family would ascend to become the top heel faction in their place. Alex Shane would go on to feud with the family, which would culminate in the show stealer turning heel on his tag team partner Ulf Herman, as well as the fans at British Uprising 2, which would lead to Alex having a tabloid publicised kayfabe feud with boxer Danny Williams and pursue Doug Williams, no relation, for the British heavyweight title, defeating him for that belt at British Uprising 3. As well as his promoting duties for the FWA, he would help promote the massively successful international showdown for the Wrestling Channel, which you watched recently, didn't you, pal? I did, yes, but I'm 100% one to cover that with you because that was a great show. And we definitely will. We will have that as one of our uh, standalone uh, match card reviews at some point. So, in February 2006, Hade Vanson would defeat Alex Shane for the British heavyweight title, as Shane would go on to work for Ring of Honor as head of European marketing and promotion. And you can tell he did a really good job, because if anything, Ring of Honor are going from strength to strength to strength at this moment in time, aren't they? They are. (laughs) (laughs) Hint of sarcasm there. So up until recently, which we won't get into, he would continue to have his dirty little fingers in a lot of Brit Rest pies, including commentating for the pilot episode of ITV's reboot of World of Sport Wrestling alongside Jim Ross. And as I mentioned earlier, he would also hang around my local promotion, New Generation Wrestling, like a bad smell. But let's go back to the FWA. So British Uprising would show that a few imports could elevate an already impressive roster. AJ Styles and Jerry Lynn would stick around for a couple of years, and in 2003, the FWA and Ring of Honor would co-promote a show over here called Frontiers of Honor, with Paul London, Mikey Whipwreck, Loki and Christopher Daniels joining Jerry Lynn and AJ in interpersonal bouts against the best of the FWA. Meanwhile, British Uprising 2 would see Colt Cabana, CM Punk and Homicide have matches, so they really had their fingers on the pulse of the uh, US indie scene, didn't they? Absolutely. I mean, all of those names, you just you think quality in ring work. You really do. You definitely do. But the most high-profile guests would be reserved for British Uprising 3, as the legendary Terry Funk would team with Birchill and Paul Travell in a match that was refereed by Jimmy Hart. 
Wow. No, that is something I definitely have to see. <laughs> you definitely do, and we will look at that at some point. But the Markham cards would also be no stranger to imports either, as the likes of Colt Cabana, Raven, Two Cold Scorpio, Takeshi Morishima and Mohamed Yone would all take a trip to the seaside. Absolutely worth it. It really is. And in late 2006, the FWA would enter into a scripted feud with IPW UK when FWA wrestlers invaded IPW's annual Brawl at the Hall event and took the locker room hostage. In the Elimination Tag Team Contest event, Team FWA would beat IPW UK and proclaimed war on the company. As the rivalry intensified over the next few months, wrestlers from both rosters had matches in both promotions and neutral grounds, with FWA gaining the early advantage. After months of clashes, three events were held under joint banners, with the final show, IPW vs FWA Final Frontiers, booked for a match between IPW's Martin Stone and an unnamed FWA wrestler with both companies' future on the line. The show featured much infighting, including the two commentators breaking out into a brawl and ended with the mystery FWA wrestler being revealed as the former British heavyweight champion Flash Barker, who lost the match, resulting in FWA folding in March 2007. It was a fitting end as fans in the South had gravitated more to IPW as the FWA were holding more cards in the North, including a series of shows in Bridlington and Cleethorpes that cashed in on the celebrity wrestling ITV show, even featuring D'Lo Brown and Joey Legend in a match. And I had one of my scarier moments with a wrestler on the Bridlington card, Danny. I have to hear this story, Chris. Okay, so... Um, shout out to Paul on this one as well because he was with me for this. Um, but basically, uh, Dilo Brown and Joey Legend were having a match together, and Paul got me to shout out at the top of my voice, bearing in mind I was on the front row for this, tickle his balls, which prompted both Dilo and Joe to stop the match and stare at me with cold-blooded intent in their eyes. Oh, I can just imagine. <laughs> and I made the mistake of trying to apologise to D'Lo Brown after the event, um, which pretty much fell on deaf ears, so I made myself scarce. As anyone would, as anyone would. As anyone would, but a fun time was had by all. So, following the closure of the FWA, at least originally, they would now go on to be run and owned by Greg Lambert, who would rename the company to the XWA, the Extreme Wrestling Alliance, holding their cards in Morecambe as the main fan base. IPW would take over where the FWA left off, with Revolution Pro Wrestling being originally formed as an offshoot of that company. So, Danny, we will eventually revisit the FWA to talk about the 2009 reboot, which was certainly quite interesting. But what did you make of your taste of the original incarnation of the FWA? Absolutely loved it. Um, it was really good to see all these names and things like that, these future stars and these veterans and things like that. And, yeah, really, just I'll give it five stars all round. 
Good man. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly think that without the FWA, rightly or wrongly, the likes of 1PW and Revolution Pro wouldn't have existed. While 1PW took one of the good elements of the FWA to a ridiculous length, namely the international imports, companies like RevPro held to the ethos of the FWA and IPW, namely giving the British workers the deserved spotlight while booking the right kind of international star to elevate cards. And that's the difference. You can fill a card with international stars that people are either going to expect all the time or not care about, or you can book a card where your British wrestlers look fantastic against international stars because they're the ones that are going to be around every month. Yeah, well said. Mm. So for me, the FWA was pretty much my company growing up. And these shows, in my opinion, still largely hold up today and give me many happy memories of my Brit Rest travelling days. That's fantastic to hear. I mean, it all comes back to, um, even in the feedback when we uh, talked about at the top of the show, it was like this um, promotion was um, vital in keeping wrestling in Britain alive. It really was, and I think that was the beauty of it really because um after seeing what the fwa could do it then brought on a lot more companies in the mid to late 2000s uh, some of which are still going now and you know we we get held up as as quite the important scene now don't we yeah one of the biggest is definitely um especially uh, over a couple of years ago as well and um yeah i mean there's a lot a lot of the times people think, oh, America, uh, wrestling is just for the Americans or things like that. And it's promotions like this that that change that thought process. It definitely does. It definitely does. And, um, you know, it's it's stuff like the, the happy memories in wrestling that I think keep us watching as well. And uh, I, I think I speak for both Danny and myself, listeners, when I say that revisiting our personal choices can bring a lot of happy times flooding back. Isn't that right, mate? Absolutely. It always will. It always will. And speaking of personal choices, buddy, what have you got lined up for us for the next episode, mate? Well, this month, the next month, Chris, um, we are going to be looking at a card that <laughs> that you people are not going to believe I'm choosing this, but we're actually going to be looking at Heroes of Wrestling from 1999. <laughs> Have you heard a lot about this, Chris? heard about it i'm still having nightmares i've never actually watched this um card in full so we're going from great card here to a not so great card but or maybe it was a great card i have no idea i've only heard bad things about it but yeah i'd like to go and watch that with you chris well uh, i'll i'll try anything several times um so yeah um all i can say is mate you're in for quite the experience Oh, yeah, I've heard about the Jake Roberts thing, but that's about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at the very least, mate, we'll have a good laugh, won't we? Yeah, big time, big time. Looking forward to it. Excellent. And listeners, if you like a good laugh yourself with your wrestling fandom, you would be doing yourself a great disservice if you didn't get yourself involved with our pod parents at the unbooking the territory network of podcasts and you can follow rob and dan at utt podcast on twitter 
And while you're there, do please throw a follow to their spin-off series looking at the in-ring career of one Tank Abbott at UTT Tank on Twitter. And if you wanted to experience any of their or our episodes with a tasty, ridiculously strong beer, get yourself to the Tartarus Beers website and type in the code UTTPODCAST15 at checkout to get 15% off your order. And Danny, where can the meatpacking community find you on social media? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo. You can hear me on Nitro Nights with the great Sir Pal. And you can hear me here next month where I'll be talking with the great Chris Bellis about, and the real Chris Bellis, my add on that, about Heroes of Wrestling from 1999. Well, mate, you say that we can hear from you next month, but you've got to watch this card first, mate. So I totally wouldn't hold it against you if you sent me a message saying that One Man's Meat is going to have to be a solo podcast from now on. But I do hope you come back. And if any of you would like to keep in touch with me on social media, you can find me mostly on Twitter at Real Chris Bellis, where I love sharing my views about wrestling, the music scene of now and the past, and anything else that is on my bug adult brain at any point in time. So, guys, uh, you will have to excuse the rose-tinted critique on my part because I absolutely bloody loved the FWA even for all of its faults but talking of faults we will be back next month for what I hope will be a grumpier and more hilarious time for me but in the meantime and in between time stay beefy meat cider to steal this show! You and me know it's near Now they do not cheer Time for you to fear So steal